This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. In the last episode, you got to hear the Q&A portion from my keynote at the Keller Williams Family Reunion Conference. If you missed that, make sure you go back and listen to episode 23, which was the actual keynote, and episode 24, which was the Q&A where I interacted with you. In this episode, we're going to do something really cool. Imagine waking up after years of hard work, having built multiple businesses and enjoying a certain level of success in your life. And then you realize something. You realize that much of what you're doing is not your one thing. At that moment, you're faced with a decision. Do you continue to do the same thing because deep down you're scared of what could possibly happen if you were to make a change at this point in your life? Or do you look in the mirror and dare to follow your heart and live your one thing? This is the reality for the person you're going to meet today. He's someone who woke up building multiple businesses, and then he reads this book, The One Thing, and realizes that what he's been doing has not been his one thing. And he decided to dare to take action and to follow his heart, to live his one thing, which since then he has enjoyed such a more vibrant life because he knows he's living his highest calling. And now he's being put in the position to bring that calling, that value to you. Scott Love is someone who is a high-stakes headhunter for international law firms in Washington, D.C. and New York. He has surrounded himself with the top talent inside of organizations and the top recruits from other organizations. And as a result of doing so, he began to notice not only how can you bring top talent into your world, but how do you become the type of leader that others love to follow? I remember early on in my career here with Gary Keller and Jay Papasan, seeing a model drawn out on, on a whiteboard. And a question was asked, how can you give yourself permission to make your world so big that any talented individual could step into your world and have everything they could possibly ever want? This is something that I have worked to embody into how I lead, how I manage people over the last year. And so when I got connected with Scott and he's going, look, this is my specialty. I go in and show people how they can become the type of leader that others love to follow. I said, I have to introduce him to you. And this applies to you not only if you're a business owner, but even if you're a stay-at-home mom. You know, my wife, Amy, is a stay-at-home mom and we've got young kids and we're constantly asking the question, how do we as parents need to show up to motivate and inspire our kids to become the type of individuals that we know that they can become. Cracking the whip is not necessarily the way to get it done. How do you truly get them interested in doing what you believe is right for them? And that's what we're going to dive into in this interview with Scott Love. Scott, glad to be with you. Appreciate the time today. Thanks, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. So let's go back to before you were really living your one thing. What were you doing when you were first introduced to the book? I was doing too many things, Jeff. I was uh, I was doing too many things. Now I'm doing one thing and planning for my next thing. But I was uh, speaking professionally to business groups. I was I owned a training company, which was the number one training company for the executive search and recruiting staffing industry. And then I was trying to still do recruiting, so I was really doing three jobs. And so after reading the book, I had to look at it. Just makes sense. Focus on one thing. And I like the model of where you just drill down and you go deeper and deeper. And it just makes sense. And it was just such a simple concept that made a tremendous impact in my life where I made some big changes that it paid off. 
So what happened? I was able to sell my training company to my biggest competitor, who was also my closest friend. And we tried to get uh, together before, and the timing was right for me because I just wasn't as interested in doing coaching and doing management consulting for the industry. And, and, I, and I wanted to get involved in a business that I'd been in before, which was headhunting. I recruit partners for big law firms. And I love that, but you got to have the time to focus on that. So, so that's what happened. So I was able to pivot back to a business I'd been successful in before. And then also I'm kind of planning for my next phase, which is, and I still do some keynote speaking, not as much as I did before. I've done as many as 50 paid gigs a year on the road all the time. And, and, and I don't want that. I like doing it a little bit, but it, by doing one thing, it helped me dig deeper and deeper into one business. And as a result, it's, it's just exciting. Which it resonates with me because every now and then I hear these stories of someone who reads the one thing. They're they've been climbing this ladder. It's been leaning up against the wrong wall. They, but they are enjoying a level of success, and they wake up and go, "Oh my gosh, it's not my one thing." And they do a complete pivot. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think you know that analogy you said, "nice ladder, wrong wall." That's what I had done. I had gone as far as I think I could go in that other business, and I could either just jettison it altogether and just drop it, or merge it in. Where someone where together we can accomplish more, and I don't have to spend as much time doing that. And it, and these are people I really enjoy being in business with, and and I like having that partnership. But I think if a manager looks at or anybody looks at what's the one thing, what's the one thing I truly want, and you have to also look at do I have the resources for that? My one of my hobbies is watercolor painting. Honestly, Jeff, I would love to just drop everything, move back to Asheville, North Carolina, paint pretty pictures and sell them and drink espressos all day. But, you look like a watercolor painter. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so, and, that, and I love that. That's the one thing I'd rather do. But do I have the resources for that? Uh, I could probably sell them for maybe $30 each. So, so no, no. What's the next one thing I want to yeah. do? It's business. And, and so I think uh, the book helps people look at what's truly important to them and what truly does help them get. 80% of the results, that 20% that gets you to get 80%. So you go from having multiple irons in the fire, you get clear that there's really only one of them. That's right. That's and, right. And what was that? It was doing the headhunting because that's my core business. Uh, but along with that, I had some ideas of the knowledge that I have developed over 20 years, being, you know, having talked to tens of thousands of managers. I've always paid particularly close attention when I try to recruit someone and they tell me this. They say, I don't care how good the opportunity is. I love it here. I'm never going to leave. And I always ask them, why is that? And I notice that there's a trend. And the reason why people will turn down better opportunities, it's because of the relationship to the boss one level up. It's as simple as that. So those are things that I'm starting to think about and write about. That'll be, you know, in the book I wrote, Why They Follow, talks about that. And I enjoy speaking about that. And at some point, I might start another consulting firm and hire people to take over my search practice and then do more of the speaking. So that's kind of out there, like three, five years down the road. So, so what, I'm, what I'm hearing, and to kind of compress it for everybody who's listening to this, you had your irons in, in the fire. You figure out that headhunting is your one thing. And because you had been spending so much time with top talented individuals, because I know you mentioned you're a high stakes headhunter for international law firms in Washington and New York. You got to see not only how to get top talent into an organization, but what it takes to keep them. 
Absolutely right. Which we, as business owners, we all know it, it, it's it's the retention that's the issue. Turnover is one of the highest costs. And what it, how do you need to show up as the manager, the leader that top talent begs to come work for you and they stay in your world? And this is the thing. Let me put it in these terms, Jeff. Most people know if they're in a sales type business, what's easier and more profitable? Keeping an existing customer happy or going out and getting a new one? Well, keeping an existing customer happy. Same thing with employees. And you also build continuity. You add to your store. You add to your company's legacy. You keep those people that add to that narrative of what your vision is. And that seems to attract other high performers. And the interesting thing is that a lot of the people that work in the field of HR, and I personally think there's a lot that's wrong in traditional corporate human resources. I think there's a lot that's wrong within that. But that's another topic. They focus on retention. And that's the wrong metric. It's a, it's a helpful metric. It's, it's easy for us to look at how are people re- retained and staying within companies, but many times you're not going to get their heart and their soul. What a manager truly wants is that loyalty of that employee. And that's the knowledge that I got over two decades of having tens of thousands of conversations. Why are you never going to leave? And it's not that hard of a fix. And so that's something I get excited telling people about that in just an hour keynote. Here's a few key ideas, and you implement these things, and boom, now you've got people that never want to leave. Their performance increases, and guess what? You also start attracting high achievers because everybody loves to tell their friends about something that's exciting. You're getting your employees to become your best recruiting force. Yeah, so let's dive into some of those things. If I'm a manager, I have worked so hard to bring top talent into my organization. How do I truly capture their loyalty? Right. I think it's it's the first thing we have to realize is that when people come to work every day, they come to work for themselves, not for you. You know, sorry. I know we're, we're all, we all think are wonderful, and, and and this is something that's interesting, is that I think that many owners of companies overestimate their own company's brand equity. They think, of course, it's a great place because it's my baby, and that's not the correct perspective. I think have a little bit more of of a devil's advocate. Well, why would someone come to your company? What's in it for them? And to be a little bit more removed away from from this and look at it as if on the outside. So how can we get that heart and that soul? We've got to first understand that people come to work every day for themselves. The second thing is that we have to look at what I call the response ratio. And this is something I figured out at an early age when I was on active duty and I was a young naval officer. You know, Here I am, I go to Naval Academy, I graduate from Annapolis, I'm an officer in the Navy and I go to a ship. And I see that every sailor hates two things. They hate officers and they hate the Navy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so here you are, you've, you've got to lead. And you could lead with your authority. But I found that if you led with personal leadership, then you get a higher response ratio. So for example, I'm going to give an employee a directive. That employee is going to choose for himself or herself on what sort of energy they're going to put into accomplishing the task. If they look at your authority, well, you're the boss of me and you tell me what to do, I'll probably give you a one on a scale of one to 10. But if I respect you, and I admire you, and I see that you're a positive leader, I'm gonna give you a 10. I'm gonna go a little bit further in building that loyalty. So the bottom line is grow in your personal leadership. If a manager can grow in his or her own personal leadership skills, that's gonna get employees to give a little bit more and become more loyal to the company. So dive into what exactly is the response ratio then? So if you're my employee, I give you a directive. I want you to organize the filing room. You're going to do the minimum if you just look at me as just the boss. But if you respect me and if you are willing to go to the wall 
as we would say, we want to follow anybody to the wall, you're going to give me a 10. So you choose what sort of energy you're going to put into that response of what I tell you to do. And if if a company starts building the leadership skills of their mid-level and lower-level managers, they're going to see employees put in a little bit more time, a little bit more energy, and become more loyal to that organization. So, so walk me through that because I have direct reports and you hear, oh, you know, develop your leadership. It's like, okay, go out and find a mentor. Okay, go out and boost profit. You know, that's, it's very high level. What are actual tactical things for people who are listening to this? How do we begin to grow in our leadership style? Right, I think it has to do with self-awareness, knowing that we affect other people. And sometimes we don't realize how significant our impact is. I think that's the first step is know that we affect other people. The the rolling of the eyes, the careless comment about a colleague that other people are going to hear, those are things that people pick up and they take them and they 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 put that in their heart and they remember that. And when it's time for them to give a little bit extra for you, they're going to go back to that and they're going to make a decision. Uh, what should I do? Should I give them a one or should I give them a 10? I remember I had this, uh, you know, the best way I can explain this, uh, one of my, my uh, relatives was passing uh, he was in his 90s at a hospice home in Phoenix, Arizona, and right next door to it was a Montessori school. And at the end of the afternoon, it was a kind of a bittersweet moment. I'd stepped outside, and I hear the children are let out to their recess period in the Montessori school right next to this hospice home. They're yelling and they're screaming, and I'm thinking, how dare they? How come the teachers don't keep the noise down? Don't they know that there's people grieving over here? And then I looked around, and all the guests of the hospice home those that could move around, they were sitting outside in their patios. All the windows were open. People were looking and just paying attention and hearing the children playing and laughing. And I realized that there was this symbiotic, synergistic relationship between these two organizations, either through divine intervention or really bad zoning laws, that there was this relationship that one was affecting the other and they didn't even know it. And that is how powerful it can be when a manager does something or says something that's what causes people to choose to give a different response ratio. Well, you, you, as you were sharing that, I had a flashback to an experience with Gary Keller. I was in one of his masterminds for some of the top agents in the country. And he, he said something that struck me, which was, your values are always on display. Absolutely right. And he told the story about how he really focuses on his legacy. And someone, an agent who had flown into Austin, uh, they were on their way out of town, they were checking their bags at the ticketing counter at the airport. And it had a KW, a Keller Williams logo on the bag. And the ticketing agent said, oh, you work for Keller Williams? Like, yeah, I'm an agent with Keller Williams. And he said, you know, get Mr. Gary Keller? And they went, well, I, I yes. <laughs> and and the, the ticketing person told this story about how he checked Mr. Keller's bags and about the incredible experience he had. And Gary basically said every day, and I'm paraphrasing here, but every interaction he has, whether it's with a top agent in the country or whether it's with a janitor, whether it's with a ticketing agent, he focuses on showing up as his fullest because your values are always on display and you have no idea when someone who's important in your world is going to interact with another human being who will have a perception of you. What will they say? And I think that word that you mentioned, Jeff, perception, people make decisions based on perceptions. Doesn't mean it's fair, doesn't mean it's right, but that's just how people are. And I think the closest you can be to living in that state of congruence with your values, the easier it is for people to have an accurate perception of who you really are. We want to break away from the episode real quick and acknowledge you. So many of you 
have been sharing the podcast on social media. You've been including the hashtag, the one thing, which is how we know that you've been sharing it. And you've also been leaving comments on the areas that you've been struggling, the type of episodes that you'd like to see. We watch that. We listen. That's why we are doing this episode. Some of you have asked the question about what it takes to be a great leader, what it takes to maintain top talent. We know this is <laughs> recruiting and maintaining top talent is one of the biggest challenges of being a business owner. That's why we're doing this interview with Scott because point blank, you asked for it. So for those of you who suggested that, thank you. This is all about adding value to you and everything we create, whether it's the podcast, whether it's the new membership platform that we're creating, we want to work with you. So for those of you who have more ideas about the podcast, please go ahead, share it on social media, include the hashtag, the one thing. And for those of you that are interested in learning more about what it's going to mean to be a founding member for this new membership platform, where we're going to work directly with you to identify your pain points and then customize the training to fit your needs, you can raise your hand by sending a text message with the word founder to the number 33444. Again, that's sending a text message with the word founder to the number 33444, and we'll reach out. With that, let's get back into the episode with Scott Love. You know, as as a person who does manage people um, and as a person who has a high level of standards, expectations, drive, and total impatience. <laughs> Oftentimes, <laughs> I want other people, I don't think they do it as well as I could. You know, I know I can do it better. And I'm, my natural inclination at times can be to crack the whip or to, or to come down on them when I know, like immediately my, brain, my mind goes, beep, beep, like don't do that. Talk to me a little bit more about that. I mean, because this is, it's so hard to learn this. I think uh, I think it's knowing. I mean, what you just said, knowing that you had that tendency. I think that's the first part of that. I I think of my son who's 16 years old, and he's actually embarked on his professional career as a model. He's been repre- he's represented by the Wilhelmina Agency in New York, and he was ranked as one of the top 10 male models from New York's Fashion Week. And he just turned 16 three months ago. Is he friends with Hansel? Can he turn left? <laughs> that's right, that's right. But and so he's he's just off the chart. Uh, and he's got the the resources for this. He's a motivated, driven kid. He's always been what you call a spirited child. <laughs> and, and I remember when he was a little guy, I'd have to tell him to get, come on, get in the car seat. And I and I knew I could tell him, come on, get in the car seat, get in the car seat. We've got to go. Or I could say this. I could say, Daxon, let's have a race. And he'd look at me. What are we going to race, Daddy? I'm like, let's see if you can get in your car seat before I get to my seat. Ready, set, go. Oh, look how fast you are. I'm so proud of you. Mm-hmm. And I was able to harness his intrinsic motivation to accomplish my goals. And that's how a manager has to look at their people. What is my employee motivated by? I have to articulate my message to them and how it's going to help them get motivated to do the job that I want them to do. As you told that story, I had another flashback to a message a mentor had shared with me. This is, it's all happening. Um, he said, you have to be more interested than interesting. And I, I've had the similar thing with with my daughter Daphne, who's almost four. And you know, sometimes she just moves slow. I want her to move faster, but that's me trying to get her to be interested in my agenda and just forcing it down. Versus saying, "What is she interested in?" Trying to get, trying to be more interested in what she's interested in, and turning it into a game which t- truly motivates them. That's that's great. I think that's a great example. In your in your experience, how do you go about finding out what 
drives each individual person? Paying attention, listening, seeing what motivates them. And when I say everybody's motivated by something that's different, it's not like there's this menu of 30 different items, usually two or three different things. Some people are motivated by recognition. Some people like to be a really good number two. They just like to be that support person that can be counted on. And, and to, to, to pay attention to this, and when you have a critical situation to call out and, and look at and, and identify what motivates that person and tie it all together. I, I had the situation happen when I was on, a, on my ship, I mean, long, long ago, back when the Iraqis invaded Kuwait. This is during Operation Desert Storm and Desert Shield. I was on a minesweeper. I was the operations officer. And Petty Officer Schaefer was the sonar technician. And he had spent the last six weekends on the ship trying to get our sonar fixed. And I had to tell him, you need to stay here this weekend and get it fixed because it has to be ready for Monday because of sea trials. I could have used my authority, but I knew what motivated him. And I told him, I need to talk to you. Have a seat. Let's go to my stateroom. Let me give you some perspective. Right now, you know that we're the most important ship in the United States fleet. We have to be underway next week. and We can't start our sea trials until that sonar is fixed, and it has to be ready Monday morning. I know you've spent the last six weekends away from your family. But right now, our ship is the most important ship in the United States fleet. Right now, you're the most important sailor in the United States Navy. I need you to stay here this weekend and get that sonar up and ready before Monday morning. No hesitation at all, because I was able to show him how his work truly did have significance on a macro scale, how what he did connected to our mission as an organization. And if a manager can step back and look at how is it, what direction is our company going? What is that noble goal, that selfless goal that we impart in the world? And how can this employee's work make that difference? And taking the time to explain it. Mm, we uh, we did a training yesterday on time blocking. And in, in the book on page 114, we have what's called the seven circles, the seven most important areas of your life. Uh, and one of them is job and one of them is business. This inherently for any employee says, well, I'm not a business owner. So how does this relate to me? And we always share, you have a job that lines up with the mission of the business. How does what you do on a day-to-day basis drive the overall mission? And I think that's a huge disconnect. We're often not taught how to connect the dots between what we do on a day-to-day basis to how we're actually help moving that ship. Absolutely right. I think managers need to remind people what our vision is how that makes a difference in connecting the dots as to how their work matters. I think people need to be reminded of that. They hear that a lot, but I think the more you hear that, just like in terms of leadership, how many? when do you need to stop reading leadership books? When do you need to stop going to leadership? Well, it's a constant reminder. It's a journey. You need to keep reinforcing those. It is a journey. Absolutely right. I think managers need to, need to keep ringing the bell for their people. Outside of your book, Why They Follow, what are some of the best leadership books you've read? Wow, I think um, I think anything written by Stephen Covey. I mean, let me go way back. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. First Things First, and I think it was the book First Things First, where he talks about what are the roles in your life, what are the goals in those, and what are those core values for each of those roles. And right now, I'm actually looking. I have my personal mission statement taped onto my computer monitor that's called using technology as <laughs> a place to prop something up yes <laughs> that's right and i think i think you know going back to the that book and the lesson and this is one of the things that i talk about a lot is because leadership is intensely personal because there's a high amount of self-awareness you need to have 
go back to your core values and identify those. Go back to your personal mission statement. Why are you on this planet? And take time to clarify those core values and write out your personal mission statement. And a couple of things happen when you do this is that you gain more confidence. You know exactly who you are, what motivates you, and what direction you're going in. And that is extremely attractive to other people. Nobody likes to be manipulated. Nobody likes to be forced to do anything. But everybody is okay following someone that is followable. And that's what I try to show people in my book, how to become followable. So, you know, you talk about getting clear on why you're put on this earth, getting clear on your mission statement. I immediately feel resistance on that just because I go, yeah, I've heard how to do that, but I don't know how to do that. What would you say to somebody out there who just had that experience where they're going, I don't know why I'm on this earth yet. I don't know what my mission statement is. I think sometimes it's good to just start asking the questions and know that we don't have to know exactly. And I have this tendency, you know, think of it, you're driving down a highway and it's at night. I want to be able to see 20 miles, but I can't. I can see just as far as my high beams can show me, but I've got a map in front of me and I know it's going to be okay going into those areas that I can't see. Even though I want to see it, I just can't. And that's my tendency is to plan too far out instead of focusing on, okay, what's my three-year goal? What's my one-year goal? And let me just enjoy the moment and have good habits and daily, weekly targets and monthly targets that I focus on. So I think, I think people should just begin by asking that question. The question in terms of a personal mission statement. What am I here to accomplish on this planet? Start with, it might, mine doesn't have anything to do with business or having a house on the hill or anything like that. It has nothing to do with that. It has mostly to do with who I am, where I'm going, and what's my relationship with other people. I think in terms of core values, and and I can't remember who I heard this from years ago, otherwise I'd give them proper attribution, but imagine that you have all the money in the world, all your relationships are perfect, you've got all the time in the world. What's left over? What's truly important to you in terms of your values? And identify those. And what's interesting is that sometimes you learn as you grow, sometimes your values change. Like, so I turned 50 this month and one of my core values, Jeff, it's convenience. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to be inconvenient. So I work in downtown Washington. I live in Crystal City. It's a 15 minute metro ride away. And I like having a short commute, man. And so sometimes you, as you learn more about yourself, things change. Some of those values, you realize those are now important to you. But I would, I would say just start. Start asking the question. This has been one of the single biggest ahas for me in the last year plus that I've been working with Gary Keller and Jay Papazan and interacting with the people that we've interacted with. The one thing, living a productive life, it's not a destination. It's a journey. And I, I, I did a, a keynote recently where I was standing in front of a group of people and many of them were extraordinarily frustrated because they've been trying to time block it. They haven't been able to make it a habit. They haven't still figured out how do you eliminate all the distractions that pop up. And walking out of the room, seeing them have that shift where they realize it's not like a switch flips. This is a journey. What's my baseline today? How do I discover a little bit more tomorrow? How do I discover a little bit more tomorrow? How do I discover a little bit more tomorrow? And as you said, sometimes it's just asking the question, when my income got slashed by 40%, I'm still in medical device sales. I know I want to start a business. I have no idea what to do. I remember sitting on my couch first thing in the morning, meditating, asking the question, how can I attract extraordinary people in my life that can reveal the next step for me? I remember visualizing meeting all these people and then all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. 
It just started to happen. Wow, that's and great. That's exciting. So for the people out there who are attached to the outcome of understanding your purpose, of understanding why you are here, of understanding what your mission statement is, start by just setting the intention and be interested in the breadcrumbs that start to fall ahead of you. Yeah, that's great. And just be aware. That's, that's a great story. That's a great story, Jeff. So for the people out there who are in a leadership capacity, if there was one single thing that they could walk away with from this episode, how would you get them into action? What I just mentioned earlier, clarify your values, write down your life purpose. And I know there are people that are like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before, but yeah, just go back and do it. Many times we don't need to learn anything new. We just need to be reminded of those same stories, those same messages. Let's just do the work and then be aware and see how you affect other people. When you come to crossroads and major decisions, Go back to those values and that life purpose and use that as your yardstick. How are you going to measure the decision based on that? Use that as your compass. And I think I think people notice this. And because this is something I saw when I was on, on active duty years ago, and it's amazing how many lessons I learned, that sailors would test junior officers with potentially compromising positions. And they would they would manipulate them, you know, and they would try to and the ones the ones that would fall in for that, they wouldn't respect them as much. But the ones that, and I don't want to say took the high high road, but the ones that made the correct hard right decisions that might not have been popular, they respected them the most. And the response ratio was usually higher for those junior officers. And I think that's where it all starts. Core values, personal mission statement. Start with that. Mm, I love that. And, and I started thinking about Gary. I started thinking about Jay two of the most extraordinary people that I've ever been blessed to form a relationship with, they both are highly values-driven. They both are highly clear about how they want people to speak about them, the legacy that they want to leave. And that is the yardstick that they act with every single day. And it's no wonder that top talent not only has flocked into their world, but stayed in their world. And what's interesting is that I think, and from a business perspective, that's a much more profitable model because people trust you. This is what I've noticed in talking to other people that do what I do is that smart people can sniff out a phony in the first 30 seconds of a conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, If you don't have a clearly defined value system and if you're not willing to say no to certain deals, then nobody's going to trust you. You can only, you know, and you know, one of my core values as as a high stakes headhunter is creating a mutual satisfaction of needs, a win win business scenario. That's one of my three core values as a, as a high stakes headhunter. You know, if the deal is not a win win, then we part as friends. You know, even though I could make that square peg fit in that round hole, it's never the best and it's never the correct decision. When you have that value system, like you talked about with your founders of Keller Williams. People trust you and you tend to have a more profitable enterprise because they trust you. You know what's on the wall outside the door I'm sitting in right now on the wall is the values of the company. You know what number one is? What's that? Win-win or no deal. Oh, that's it. <laughs> there you go. How about that? I, I didn't know that. That's Every, great. In everything we do, win-win or no deal. Because people trust you. And then when the situation's right, they come back to you. Awesome. Well, Scott, where can people find out more about you? They can go to my website at scottlove.com, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-V-E.com. There's a link on there for the books that takes you to Amazon. And uh, yeah, I've got articles. I've got some other resources on there as well. 
Awesome. Well, thanks for the time. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. It was great talking with you. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Scott Love. I walk away from this conversation with two things sitting with me very closely. The first is being more interested in your people. Truly taking the time to get to know them on a personal level in terms of what makes them tick, what inspires them, what drives them, what motivates them. Asking the questions and then every single day trying to put things in their perspective. Like he mentioned that that story about the person on his ship knowing that for six weeks he hasn't seen his family over the weekend, knowing that he has to request it again, which when he's telling the story, I'm going, gosh, that has to be so demotivating to ask somebody to miss their family yet another weekend. But then to hear the way that he was able to frame it, to really show and communicate how this person was so important to the overall mission. If I was in that sailor's shoes, there's no question I would have said yes. How can you today, whether it be with your employees, whether it be with a colleague, whether it be with your children, how can you begin to communicate in a way that would really resonate with them? Your communication has nothing to do with your intent. It has everything to do with the way that it is received. How can you put it in terms so that people will receive it effectively? And the second thing that I'm walking away from this with is understanding that leadership is a journey. You want to discover your purpose. You want to discover why you're here on this earth. You want to discover what your mission statement is. It's not like you're going to download some action guide and here's the three steps to discovering your purpose. Can you give yourself permission to begin the journey? And starting by asking the question, why am I here? If I did have all the money I could possibly ever desire, all the relationships, all the glory, everything I could possibly ever want in this world that was all taken care of, check the box. What would I do with my time? What's that legacy that I want to leave? What is the reason that I am put here on this earth? And if you don't have an answer yet, acknowledge it, accept it, and ask again, and again, and again, and begin to watch how things will unfold in front of you. I flash back to when I was in medical device sales, like I, like I mentioned in the episode. Every day, first thing in the morning, I would sit on the couch, I would meditate, and I would ask empowering questions. How can I bring people into my world? How can I start a thriving business? How can I add value at a tremendous scale? I never perceived it would be possible to start a podcast that could reach hundreds of thousands of people. I never perceived it would be possible to have the opportunity to call a guy like Gary Keller or a guy like Jay Papazan partner. My mind just could not have comprehended that. Yet those breadcrumbs started to fall in front of me and I kept picking them up one at a time and it led me down this road. I'm still not 100% clear on my purpose. I'm still not 100% clear on what my, my mission is or why I'm on this earth. But I'm at least comfortable in the journey and not attaching myself to the outcome. So hopefully you walk away from this and can begin taking action on that. 
Thanks for listening to this episode. Thanks for your attention. Thank you to those of you that have already raised your hand and said, I'm interested in learning more about being a founding member for the new membership platform. For those of you that have not done it yet, please send a text message with the word founder to the number 33444. This is one of the coolest things that we can do this year. I promise you that. So you absolutely want to raise your hand and at least learn more. Text the word founder to the number 33444 and we'll be in touch. Thanks so much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.